Hello and welcome to Beastly Theories. I'm your host, Andy McGrath. Now, today I've got a very special guest, Deborah Hatswell. She's the Bigfoot researcher. She's head of the BBR, the British Bigfoot Research Group, and the compiler and creator of the British Bigfoot Map. She had an account of herself in the 1980s and has since worked tirelessly to discover evidence of Bigfoot in Britain. She's since become a, a beacon for witnesses of this phenomena to retell their encounters, and, and she often occupies the role of, of counsellor in providing validation and explanation to witnesses who often feel traumatised by their experience. And of course, the isolation and silence that, that often follows such an encounter. And I, I'm very pleased to have her here. Deborah, welcome. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you, Andy. Um, busy as always, lots of new sightings coming in and lots of research. Um, Busy B, but I'm 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 doing okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just um same old London, same old, you know, um fighting commuters and, and pushing people down the escalator <laughs> to walk on the on the wrong side. That's my, <laughs> my daily challenge. Um, now for people who don't know you, and I, I doubt mm. there's many, but oh, I think there'll be, be I think there'll be some. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's one or two people in attics and basements who've never heard of you. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think what would be good for the audience is if you just start at the beginning, tell us about your own sighting and, and then the journey from being a witness that you've taken mm -hmm. to becoming a researcher. Um, I had no idea of cryptids. People often ask me if I had an interest before or if I'd seen anything on Bigfoot before. And I like to explain to them that I lived in a northern town in the north of England. And back then we had three television channels that was it we had the bbc bbc2 and a regional channel and for that was that was granada so which is now itv so if it wasn't on your regional channel you didn't see it so at 15 in 1982 i was a very ordinary girl in a very ordinary school who decided not to go in one day biggest mistake of my life <laughs> uh, and i went to what most people would describe as a country park. It's kind of, um, it's an old private estate. So there's a big mansion in the middle and there's a huge orangery. At the time it'd been turned into a butterfly house and a tropical garden, it was lovely and warm. And next to the old house, um, there it was empty. There was no family in it or anything like that. And there was mine tunnel below. And there was this, it had been left for years and years and it was really badly overgrown. It was a wonderful place as a kid until this happened. Now, next to the house, there was a sensory garden and it was for um, people who were partially sighted or had no sight. So it was very scented plants or very tactile feeling plants and they smelled amazing. There was a lot of food in there as well. And right next to it, there was this kind of left rhododendron bush that had gone about 40 feet high. And you know, like the privet grows in and then the ivy oh, yeah. grows. In. And it, you just, you're in there with the laurels and I was in there with my friend and we were in there. It was only the afternoon. I think we got there about one-ish because it was the end of dinner time when we didn't go in. And by about, I'd say an hour, at least two, quarter past two, we just were lay down on the, on the floor and we're laughing and we're giggling like you do as a kid. And I caught a movement to the corner of my eye. Not a large movement, just a movement in the shadow. And I looked... And I made eye contact with the bush, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, I know. But if this is the laurel hedge, then this happened. The face peeped out of this bush. And I can remember him now to this day. And even 
37 years on, I have to remind myself that he didn't do anything to um, cause that reaction. But a monster of huge proportions with massive jaw muscles and very square teeth and a huge brow that looked like a man and an ape had been squashed together in one. And he had incredibly dark hair. I only saw him from mid-chest up. I didn't see arms or legs or anything like that, just from the mid-chest up. And where the sun caught him, it was kind of auburn, I'd say, like a reddy brown colour. I jumped to my feet immediately, as my friend did, and in, I'll be 100% honest, I pushed her to the floor in the hope <laughs> that he... Oh, Deb, I'm sorry if you're out there. I've said sorry a thousand times, but I am. He, I pushed her to the floor in the hope that he would get her and not me. And I ran screaming. I was crying. Do you remember you asked me if it was um, a spiritual experience? Yes. I, I've recounted that question yeah. to people many times, actually. Um, and and I, your answer, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> every time. I, I had tears running. No, I was like a kid that had seen a monster. And I, I got in and my mum thought that a man had got me in the park or something like that. I was that hysterical. I didn't leave the house for about a day and a half. I just couldn't because I thought that he'd come and get me, that he was going to be behind every sure. tree, yeah, sure. every bush. And I had to walk that way to go to school. And I still had a year left. It was only mock year, so like fourth year back in 82. I started to do my O-levels. Um and it, it just traumatised me, completely and utterly traumatised me. I didn't want to go out after school. I didn't want to go in. in it took me 32 years to go back to that park. Wow. Um, and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. I spoke to my parents about it and my dad was great. My dad was really understanding because he said he, he recognised the fear that I was mm. incredibly frightened. My mum tried to play it down and she kept saying, oh, it was a homeless man or... It was um, a lad with a mask on or something like that. And it wasn't, it was nothing like that. And you couldn't, I know what it wasn't. I can tell Mm. you 100% what it wasn't. What I can't tell you is what it was. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. So at 15, I went to the library and I asked Elaine to explain. I said, have you got any, I thought it was some kind of early man or some hominid of some form. Um, have you got anything on cavemen? Have you got anything out there on like a British wild man? And she said, oh, yeah, just one second. And I thought, oh, thank God for that. Frequently asked questions, sheep. I'll know all the answers in a second. And she handed me Stig of the Dump, uh, which um, a children's tale, isn't it, about a caveman that lives that in, in the school. Dump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so angry. I was so, so angry. And I didn't speak about it for a very, very long time. And my parents, thinking they were doing the right thing, moved us away from the area but unfortunately they moved us to fields and and trees and woodland and that to me i couldn't do it so i went back to the town i had to go and stay in the town and it really affected me mental health and i don't mind admitting that now back then i did i couldn't tell anybody why i was consistently angry all the time and why i would just suddenly burst into tears I speak to my daughter about it this week because I said that I was going to chat to you and I was going to tell you some things that I'd never told anyone else. I was driving back the other week um, and you know my dad's been poorly and he's passed. Yeah. We were driving back somewhere and we were reminiscing about holidays that I'd taken her on when she was a child. She's 32 now. And she said to me, oh, mum, do you remember that time when we was at Martin May? And we um, 
had to go to the toilet at night and we were walking to the toilet block and that thing growled at us out of the bushes. And it was like a flashback in time. And I remember picking her up and taking her back to the tent and lying in the tent and thinking, oh my God, oh my God, he's back. And I had blocked that completely from my memory. Oh, wow. Wow. And it just, I remember a growl in the bushes and I just grabbed her and took her back to the tent. And then it, it's the last couple of months, it's made me think about people who have reoccurring accounts. And I think maybe it's just everywhere. Or, you know, I don't, it's kind of threw me a bit under because I oh, had that sure. one, yeah. one account and, and I could say to you, right, well, this happened. And then the next thing really was, um, I did try to tell a couple of people. I heard about a lady that worked for the mayor and there was a banquet in the park at the Lord Mayor's Banquet. And she was eating shellfish and she had anaphylactic shock. So they took her outside. And um, when she was laying the ambulance, she said that a grey-haired gorilla man stuck his head out of the same bushes where I was and growled at her. Wow. Exactly the same spot. Yeah, exactly wow. the same spot. Uh, they around about the same time? No, years later, about 2005. Wow. So I was trying to work out what he was. So I went down the hominid route. I started looking at early hominids, Heidelbergensis, um, Heidelagastor, yeah. anything that I could find that would fit him. Now, the problem with that is we have no idea on hair. Mm. So Heidelbergensis fits really nice, but it's not tall enough. And we don't know if he was hairy or not. So I, I kind of stuck with that for a long time. But I hid it. I, was, I wouldn't tell anybody. I wouldn't speak to anybody. But I did used to write. You remember in local newspapers where you had a, a column and I would write, has anybody seen something very strange in this area? If so, please write to. And I did that in personal columns for a very long time. Wow. Went to CB. Got a CB radio. Started talking to the truckers way back in the probably early 90s, about 91, 92. Have you oh. seen anything when you've been out at night? Have you? Well, they, when you tap into a source of witnesses, they also have a tapping source, bread delivery men, butchers. Yeah. I yeah, haven't, sure. but I know a man who, I haven't, but I know a lad has. And that's how you find the sightings. So, so this is I, all pre, pre-internet, pre really, pre- Way, way, the yeah, primacy way. primacy of the internet, okay. Way, way before, like, and I was a young... I was a young mum. I was a single mum at the time. I had a job. I had rent to pay. I had, a, you know, so I was doing all this on the side, uh, long way radio, just finding anybody that I could talk to. And then Skype hit, and that was amazing. So I was able to speak to people like Binden Nagel and Billy Green, some of the old greats that were then speaking on Skype. Still, oh. never put two and two together. I knew I was looking for a hominid. And in my eyes, I, I saw Pate in, that's been the late 90s, on like Arthur C. Clarke or something like that. And uh -huh. certain, kinda, kinda, but I only saw from here. So yeah. not, you know, like, mm, maybe. And then I was, we were talking, I was talking to people on Skype and I got in uh, touch with an American from Pennsylvania and his name was Sprog, early research days before people wanted to be on YouTube way back when Tim Fasano and TJR Bigfoot and all of those were on and people were having secret channels because they didn't want to it was it was a real stigma to be a Bigfoot researcher way back in the 90s not like it is now at all um and I just 
it was still affecting me. I wouldn't take the kids anywhere that was woodland. I wouldn't camp wow. out overnight. So it still had this hold on me. And then I met Mark, and you know my husband. He's incredibly laid back. Um, yeah. And he just said to me, Debbie, you just can't keep running from this. You won't leave the house. It's ridiculous. So you either have to accept that it's happened and moved on and never think about it again, or you find out what it was and you make it smaller in your mind. I'm getting a little bit emotional, and I remember that no, that's day. Okay. Thinking, He's right. If I don't do it, I'm just going to... How many other people like me are they out there that have this not believed, this story that they tell people that nobody believes? I remember looking in his eyes and thinking that he was going to bite my face off or grab me out of the bushes and get me. And when I look at him as an adult, he was just as... It, whatever it was, was as confused as I was. It looked like... Uh -huh. Just as shocked as I look. And when I look back, Andy, he just leant back in like this. He didn't run or turn around or any of that. He just leant back as if the greenery and the shadow, like the green man. And instantly, when I was a girl, thought, we have all these carvings and paintings of this face in the leaves. Yeah. He's yeah. yeah. the yeah. leaves. But he's never, I didn't think he was ever hairy then. I hadn't found out about the woodwoose then. Then I found out about the woodwoose, and he is always depicted as hairy, isn't he, with club? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and that's when I started looking at the history. As I said to you, we can go all the way back to the first Pliny. One of the Plinies wrote about um, Albion and the giants. Caesar's um, journalist as well, the man that wrote Caesar's journal, yeah. said he hated it because it was one forest from one end of the UK to the other, and it was filled with these silver trees, as he called them, these grey apes that just would vanish and disappear within the trees. Oh, wow. That was and that's, Caesar's uh, historian yeah, wrote yeah, that. So his, um, when people say to you, there is no history in the UK, there is the longest history in the UK of an well, yeah, I mean, this is something I wanted to ask you about, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I do keep up with your page and your post sometimes, and I do see you post a lot of church carvings of the hairy men, the, the woodwows and mm -hmm. uh, tapestries and woodcuts and, and things like that. Uh, but I, I was unaware of, of Caesar's biographer talking. Yeah, talking that you, if you silver, look, there's an easy way to, to, yeah, there's an easy way to access it. If you just look on Google for Albion's giants, because England was named Albion because of yeah. Albino. This is our history, isn't it? So if you just look, England's giants, Albion's giants, it comes up and it lists every single time that a giant is listed in any written text. So in the 6th century, you've got the Gauls writing about their attack in Scotland where they couldn't take over because the Satris, which loosely translates as man monkey, would steal the fish from the nets, would raid the villages, would steal the maidens. And the only way they could keep them out was to set fire to the fields. You can only burn the field so many times. Yeah. So the Gauls went back to Dundee and reported this in a written text that they couldn't take over that area because of the goddamn um, satrus. And wow. uh, <laughs> which is why are we not learning this in school, Ander? Why are we not well, taught this? I think it's probably anything outside of the normal realm of uh of what we know to be in existence it normally goes to folklore doesn't it so yeah uh, whether it's part of a, a normal historical account or, or not always gets chucked in the folklore yeah. that's very 
curious and very interesting to me because I I've often wondered if these creatures that you receive reports of now a, a lot of are perhaps were perhaps a lot more um, prolific. You know, they were they were much more numerous in the country when our population was lower and our forests were greater. Perhaps mm, now what we're seeing is a sort of a remnant population. A very dying kind of yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, we know, me and you know, don't we, that the UK is not as urban as most people think. I mean, the oh, figures no. are staggering, yeah. aren't they? Um, and I'm sure you've mentioned it before. I mean, we're down as little as 7% of the UK is urban. But what we have lost is a lot of our forests. I mean, Sherwood yeah. Forest was a vast forest, wasn't it? But yeah. what you tend to find is with Sherwood itself, there are four accounts of Sherwood Forest. But if you look either by the river or the cave system, and you go a little way out to where the Cresswell Crags are, then there's another account. And then you think, well, mm, I'll just look a little bit further out. And then there's another account. And I think look, when you look at it, like Lostar Wood, there is an account there that used to be part of Sherwood. Sadly, okay. it's been split and it's been built on. Um, and you find these little conurbation woods. So back in the early days when people used to say summer, you can't have seen a Bigfoot. You can't have seen mm. um, any this because there is no food. So I thought, right, well, I've got to prove yes. where the food is. There are no, every question, the frequently asked questions, where would they live? What would they do? I had to answer them because yeah. I wanted people to take me seriously. And it was seeing the Sykesville monster getting back. Sorry, I went off track. I saw a picture of the Sykesville monster and it was, it looked like a skinned down version of him, like a very malnutritioned version uh -huh. of him. And that face threw me. I threw my laptop at the floor and I was back there now. I couldn't get my breath and I was crying. I was really, really crying. And I just thought, I've had enough of this. I have had enough of this. I am going to find out what this is. And it, I think, in a way, fate intervened. That was the year I had my accident, 2005. Uh -huh. yeah, and, and my accident. And, and I, at one point, for 12 months, I was like flat. I had casts everywhere and I couldn't move. The only thing I could use was my brain. And I thought, right, I'm going to find out what it was. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. <laughs> to find out what it was and I mean we're here what 14 years later uh, <laughs> I still have a million questions but I do have some answers to some of the questions that I had and it was just yeah. that I just thought get online and start looking Deb and I put the map on the wall and every time I found somebody that had had a similar sighting back then I only ever took accounts of eight man like creatures did you dog men wouldn't do none of that just ape like yeah. creatures found Jazz Smith in Seven Oaks, and he reported as a child, he saw something uh -huh. as a child of eight. Then I found Charmaine in Camille, uh -huh. reporting as a child of eight. And I thought, this is strange, this child witnesses. Mm. And there are many, many, many child witnesses that well, don't report. I was report. recently talking to Mark Farnell, who is also a yeah, exactly. young teenage witness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, and, and Children and women, it's a, it's a common factor less threatening maybe less yeah. um i mean i don't know i don't have the answer to that um, and yeah. most of the habituation sites are females uh. where it's a lady living on her own you know yeah. like when you visited the medway this weekend yeah rural dead, setting yeah it's just it's ideal isn't it there's nothing and we said let's have a look at the river medway then and, and we had a look along there and there's 16 accounts of an upright hairy some wow. people Call, I've called him the hairy man. 
Nobody's mentioned Bigfoot. It's all eight man, wild man, large, hairy, running, dark shaped man. Because they don't have a word to put to it in the UK. We don't. Well, that's that's what's interesting me. That's one of the things I wanted to talk, ask you about. Is in your experience, everything you've you found out about this, you've talked to researchers around the world. Yeah. Into Bigfoot like creatures. You know, what are the common descriptions uh, in the UK? So, yeah. uh, how are they normally described uh, in the UK? And and what what are the common theories about what they might be? I mean, not just yeah. yours, but things you oh, encounter. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, flesh yeah. and blood, the woo, all that kind of stuff. I go with the Tom Powell approach of have a wide net and a big keep net. Just cast and listen yeah. to everything, and then. <laughs> Don't throw anything away because in 10 years' time, you might need it. Don't tell anyone they're wrong because you're not walking down the same path as them. I just accept all. Just So the average, there are, obviously, we have to take into fact that if we are saying they are flesh and blood and corporeal, they will have to be young and they would have to be old. So that could play into some descriptions. But average, when you average it out, you do the mean. 7.4 is the average height given. For a British okay. wild or eight man, very very rare. Do you hear the word well, Bigfoot or Sasquatch? It just doesn't uh -huh. happen. They have a very broad chest. They are hair covered, no hair on the face, but a little bit round here. Uh -huh. Leathery skin is always mentioned. Leathery dark skin to the face. The most, the colour that gets most mentioned the most, a very dark brown, or this orangey orangutan uh -huh. red colour, like our trees in autumn, that kind yeah, of. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very, very orange, athletic. like that. Yeah, very wow. like the like the russet of the oak trees. Very wow. thick chested, much slimmer on the hip. A couple on a couple of occasions, I've heard that the arms have been longer than the body, and then in other reports, people will describe them as chimp-like. Or eight, like, okay. and to me, that infers arms longer than a, yeah. than a human. And what about physical build? Uh, I mean, you said the chest is bigger, but they, are they heavily muscled or is it too furry to tell? Um, you would have to ask every single individual to give a complete and 100% answer to that. Mm. They do come in in categories. We get caveman or ancient man. And that's one of the theories that they could be an ancient man that has always been here that uses the subterranean cave systems which come up in Romania and Turkey and all over the world and that is just that it's just an ancient one of us that decided never to assimilate and never to stop and fit uh -huh. um uh, the, the 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 theories stem from hominid because the british wild man matches very much in description to your russian almaster that very muscular but live fit homo ferris warren port said best description mm. ever a human being fed on the best food continuously on the move living wild 100 percent of the time over millennia and what you would be left with would be this giant of a british man a viking on steroids but very hairy yeah, completely hair covered. <clears throat> in in evolution is the poor man's fur. It's much easier to grow and adapt hair than it is fur. Completely different set of circumstances needed for fur. Are they the first 
people of the UK. That's another theory that they are the Aboriginal people of this planet, oh, this wow. country, uh -huh. and this is why we need houses and clothes, and they don't. That's one theory. Then you have the dimensional theory, under that they could be of another dimension, and some uh -huh. of the reports do tally with that. They don't are they're not all flesh and blood reports. Some people describe them as disappearing in front of them, just disappearing. As in, uh, just evaporating into thin air? Yeah, just, or just disappearing into the... Some say like a fizzle, almost like a fizzle of energy okay. that just goes. Many of the reports get lost to, I feel, to the paranormal um, groups because heavy running footsteps and stones that are thrown and sticks that are thrown and howls and growls and whoops to move you from an area and encircling behavior of clapping and stone clacking mm. to move you from an area that to me is not a ghost um i see that as a different set of circumstances almost and some occasions chased out of the wood where camps mm. have been torn apart and cars have been shaken by unseen things now i don't know how to describe that and there is the theory isn't there the a it could be a natural ability B, yeah. it's something we don't understand at all. C, it's a special adaptation of the hair, so that the hair reflects light back yes. at you. Yeah, yeah, translucent. Um, um, yeah, hair. and then yeah. this maybe it is just a natural ability. Sorry, to use their surroundings to mask their appearance. Um, yeah. And probably a thousand theories in between that spectrum, under. And um, and would you say that this? The, the identity of what it is, perhaps that's the most loaded area of Bigfoot yeah. research. That's where all of the um, multi-denominational uh, spats and splits take place. Yeah, I do. I really, really do. And I, I see people say, oh, if you're a cryptozoologist, you wouldn't say, I'm not. I'm a witness and I collect the stories of other witnesses and I present them in their own words. The only thing I add on is an area description yeah. And any other reported sighting in that area? Well, that's something I always liked about the map from the first time I, I discovered your map. And and just for people who, who don't know, there is a, a wonderful British Bigfoot map that Deborah's created online that has every single UK account that that she's found or has been reported mm. to her. I think was yeah. it's it's four hundred and seventy or four hundred and eighty. Oh, we, we we're way beyond that. We're over five hundred oh, really? now. Oh wow! Okay. But they're verbatim, they're in. the witnesses on words, aren't they, every time. So there's nothing added, nothing taken away, um, no. apart from the location and any matching sightings. And that, for me, when I first started researching this, that was a great source of information. Of course, you're really forthcoming and, and helpful in, in helping me uh, look into this. And I thought, well, uh, my personal thoughts before I got to know you were, well, if she's after making something up, this lady, she's been very busy at it. <laughs> there's 460 yeah. it's like if you're gonna fake um if you're gonna fake a rembrandt right you wouldn't make like five thousand of them you'd make two or three very talented very talented oh, yeah, yeah. Do that. what generally happens is and people don't believe me nine times out of ten now in my local area um the, i think we're up to nine or ten accounts in my local area because oh. I, I stopped being bothered about what people thought of me every time i managed to get a witness to go back into the woods it made me a little less scared it empowered us both 
And when you're able to say to somebody, actually, yeah, I saw that. I saw exactly what you saw. I felt what you thought. I had the same feelings that you had, the same panic, the same everything. It's not only validation. It strengthens you a little bit and you think, I'm not on my own. I'm not going crackers. So when you find hundreds of people, I thought in the early days, I'm never going to fit into a box and when people come to me they're not either so yeah. if they say to me i saw a ghost in the woods it looked like an ape it was clearly flesh and blood it was using a tool it was eating but it was a ghost it goes on that map as a ghost because i am not going to tell that person what they saw yeah they might come to me in a few years and say i've reevaluated what i thought done a bit of research and i think i might have seen one of these wild men that's different but if they say to me that is a that's what it goes on the map as. And I know people have a lot of problem about that, aren't they? but I am not no. putting words in anyone's mouth and I'm, I just refuse to do it. Well, that, again, that's, you know, that's, um, I think that's one of the things that stood out to me at the beginning. It's verbatim. The, mm. the styles it, are too different. The, the reports and the styles are too different to be yeah. made up by one person. And also, they're full of what we'd look for with these mundane details that aren't really necessary to the report, just part of the sighting that you can't forget because of the trauma style yeah. experience. Um, in mm -hmm. regards to, to sightings and um, and people's ideas about the British Bigfoot, I mean, mm -hmm. their acceptance of it or non-acceptance of it, yeah, I do appreciate when I'm talking to people, it's a really big ask to, to ask anybody who's got no experience in it. It really is, yeah. in it. For for those who are familiar with it, what what are some of the common objections to its presence in the UK? What what do people say to you who do believe in Bigfoot but don't believe it's one, here in the UK? The most ridiculous one is yeah. there are not enough water sources. Oh wow, <laughs> it's utterly <laughs> ridiculous. Water yeah. is incredibly important for some reason, and right. I can say that I never state various facts, but when I look at the map of the sightings and I look at the Island, for instance, not uh, Island. There are no sightings on the east coast, and there are no estuaries on the east coast. Uh -huh. There are only four, five estuaries in um, in Ireland, and that's where the sightings are around them. So I thought, does it correlate to the UK? And it does. The, 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 it's like you get the estuaries, and it and it follows them in, kind of thing. And sorry, ask me the question again. I've gone off on a tangent. Well, no, no, you, you're on it, actually. Just a, what, what are some of the common objections to to its presence here in the UK by people yeah. who so, do not believe in it yes. in other countries? They're always around rivers. We've got so, I think we've got something like 45 estuaries in the UK. Yeah. The map of the UK water sources is unbelievable. So we'll oh, just yeah. throw, before you even start on rain, we'll just throw that one out the window. That's why I laughed. I mean, why? who could possibly yeah. come here and say there's no water? <laughs> Do you know what? I, you, know, you know me and my crazy experiments. I bought yeah. a 200 litre water butt. Oh, wow. Left it in the garden and I filmed it and uh -huh. it filled up within 24 hours. And I live in the north and I, I get I'm, I'm, I'm near the Pennines. But not a problem. Water I'm from Wales. I'm fully, fully familiar with that, that situation. <laughs> I could fill two of those in a day. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that one out of the window. Apart from that, how many natural springs do we have? Which leads me to There's where would they live? Um, well, <laughs> maybe they live under the ground. Or maybe they live in very clever shelters in woodlands that people often go out and find. And I am not talking about A-frame shelters. 
five steps from the path. Yeah. I am talking about intricately weaved shelters that you have to go through some quite good terrain to get to. 99% yeah. of the stuff that I am sent is either bushcraft or foragers doing yeah. what people do in the woods. But there are these strange finds of these rhododendron, always rhododendron for some reason, mixed with like brambles and kind of what I was sitting Does in. Does rhododendron have a thorn? I forget. No, no, it's a thick leathery leaf and it's, it's a plant uh. from the Himalayas. It was used by, um, the, the it's not natural to the UK, but there is uh. a natural plant of that genome in the UK and that was used for, believe it or not, uh, to, to, for the ability for druids to disappear and vanish at will. Really? I think the rhododendron, another crazy experiment, I went and sat in one outside, a very busy shopping centre, in the snow, I didn't get wet, it was much warmer in there, I had bright pink waterproofs on because I wanted people to see me, not a soul, I didn't, dogs walked past and didn't even sniff me. Wow. So I asked people who lived across the UK, can you go to this sighting area for me and tell me what's there? Is there any rhododendron bushes? Are there any rivers and streams? Are there uh -huh. any food sources? So you tap into foresters, foragers, are there, what food stuff is in your area? Filberts and pine nuts and all kinds of nuts that people never take into account can be eaten and stored all year round. Mm. Blackberries. We associate a blackberry bush with the fruit that is on it but when in very early spring uh -huh. now that plant comes out of the earth it is as green as anything it's like a nettle you can eat it and it's completely full of vitamin c wow. it's like oranges and lemons all day long really yeah there are so many natural foods that wow. people have forgotten like wood sorrel oh, there's, there's tons of different berries i know that much there's yeah. own, and these, oh. these people in the and then UK what about the meat sources then? The uh, what are we talking about? There's uh, estimated 33 and a half million rabbits in the country. Oh, pandemic. Uh, imagine like the the deer population. Oh, yeah. It's out of control. Yeah. The bit, um, boar population, the same. We have the American lobster that has taken over mm. our rivers. Before you even start on our natural fresh water fish from a tiny yeah. little dace, all the way up to a huge pike. Child, there is salmon, everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of the accounts, one, um, unstrangely, Medway again, speaks of a young girl back in the 40s when we were at war. School children were encouraged to go out into the fields on school trips from towns and pick things that you and I would call weeds that have a medicinal or an edible value because a we just didn't have veg and lettuce and all of that going on uh -huh. when lettuce was brought over it's not natural to the uk we used to eat dandelion and then this posh lettuce came over and we all went oh that's lovely you can uh -huh. eat every single piece of a dandelion including the root wow. if you know you can make a tea out of it apparently it's, it's you, great you antioxidant. Can just, you can just there's so many weeds the weeds that you pull out of your garden and throw away you can thrive on and there are natural foods getting back to is he a natural man back when he was learning to eat when we were learning to eat on the foraging routes we knew every plant what its usage was if you couldn't eat it you could use it for something you could make cards you can use wicker there's so much that people have forgotten all these we had them naturally in our brains way back so we can't understand modern man sees food as flavor and taste 
Something staying alive sees it as sustenance well, and yes. calorific value. Uh, Completely two yeah, different exactly. things. Exactly. Mm. You do that sometimes, you know, when you're on a, a diet uh, of some kind for either health or or weight loss, you see the food you're eating as medicinal, so that the taste or the lack of it, sometimes <laughs> yeah. of what you'd be used to, is reinterpreted as health. And you say, well, I don't Yeah, like you I... see, Neanderthals didn't kill yeah. a, a deer every day. Pe Stone Age man that, didn't. So most of their diet was bugs and grubs and crickets yeah. and cockroaches right. and all of the above, because there's more protein in those than there is in beef or wow. chicken wow. so that we is, would pick the is... beef or the chicken and they would eat the cockroaches because there's more sustenance within them i know in some far eastern countries where they eat mm. uh, insects exactly. uh, they're considered to be exactly the same as as crustaceans in the sea mm. so they mm. call them insects of the land and they refer to the ones in the sea as insects of yeah, the exactly. sea and they don't see any difference Whereas for us, it's it's more of a uh, thing for the palate, for the for the eye, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, most um, definitely. Now, you mentioned stick formations, mm. tree structures, rock piles, uh, and I see yeah. lots of pictures of those online. People claiming Bigfoot made them. Now, you but, shared yeah. your opinion a little bit about the validity of these these signs as evidence. For me, they're not evidence unless you have other evidences alongside them. Yeah. Um, well, do you think that's a big issue in the Bigfoot community yeah. um, right now? And, and what, why do you think people are so enamoured with it? Is it because you can find so many of them, so it feels like progress? or What you, you have, I think it's a number of things. I think uh -huh. it's A, people are not out in the woods all the time. So unless you're in that situation, unless you're a wild camper or a forager or you grew up as a woodsman or you live in that kind of area, they're just not used to the finds that you would find. Winds, people send me pictures of X's all day long. Mm. And I'd love, I'm, I'm glad you've asked me because it's something that drives me mad. It's not yeah. the X that's important. It's the base of the two limbs that's important because wind can form an X any day of the week. So you should be taking photographs along with your wonderful Bigfoot X uh -huh. of the bottom because if it's rotted, or the saw marks, uh -huh. or there's a type of any tool that's hit that, well, scratch it and move on. Don't take a photograph of it, blur it up all nice and lovely and say, look at my massive Bigfoot structure, it doesn't <laughs> work. They do it with arches. Arches, some of them are very intricately pinned. Mm. They are the important ones. Yeah. A tree can make an arch. There is um, a fungus within a young sapling yeah. that can arch the tree. What's so the pin is more important than the arch. Than the arch itself. So you yeah. can take 17 arches all day long. I want now to see pin. I want to see why it's pinned. Then it's interesting. There's something about that I wanted to ask you, actually. I, I think you might know a little bit about this. So um, you may remember when I went out with John Spencer, I found that miniature mm. pinned arch that was not only pinned by an, uh, an old mossy log, that it had grown exactly. flat underneath. It had been there that long. It was also held up with sticks into this arch, like some small bracket yeah, and sticks. Y stick. Normally, Y sticks are involved, and I mean, I know, I know, um, Bigfoot Tony in his area actually found a ground trap that he uh, was making the army, but it was made from the actual roots. I think it was birch from the roots of the birch. So if you've triggered it, a stick went. Oh wow! 
and, and made a noise. So that's interesting. And then I can say, well, we still can't say it's Bigfoot. We have people to, can make those. Yeah, and we have to go to the bushcrafters and say, did you yeah. do you make these? And we have to go to the wild campers and say, do you make these? And if they say, no, those pinwheels that we find everywhere, yeah. nobody makes them. The foragers say, no, nope, never seen them. No, no, so no. The bushcrafters that with the pinwheels. Yeah, they're uh, them, yeah. So what about... I asked. I asked Wiccans and I asked everybody. And um, yeah. Wiccans was something I was thinking of as well, mm -hmm. actually. But I was also thinking about gypsy communities. Exactly. Often use uh, yeah. stick signs yeah. to, to tell each other what's going on yeah. or, or where to yeah. go for something in a forested area. Now, in the area I mm -hmm. found my small pinned arch, there's yeah. actually a very large um, Irish gypsy community in this area in Surrey. And so that would, yeah. the wood I was in would be a wood that they may have frequented from time to time. Very possible. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 so you don't write on that big Bigfoot gift. Yeah. Bigfoot sent me the yeah. silly and it I know everybody wants a piece of the pie. I've been at this 37 years. I found one footprint once, a bare footprint, perfect. It looked like early man. It wasn't this big giant patty footprint. It was a male footprint that had never been shooed. Uh -huh. And we you can tell on a human's foot, ask any podiatrist, if you've grown up barefoot and never wore shoes, your feet are completely different. They grip the ground. They, there's more nerves in the bottom of your feet than anywhere else on your body. You can uh -huh. find water with your feet wow. by standing on the ground. You will, you will find it quicker than using your hands or your nose, which are your other sensitive areas. Beautiful print in mud, as if something had come down really steep hit the mud and took off again. And as I went to take the photograph, my husband drew through it with a stick and went, do you mean there, like this? Oh. And we didn't speak for about four days. <laughs> so I said to people- I thought you were gonna say four months, yeah. Well, no, about four days. I still mention it every now and again though. <laughs> do you remember the- When he's in trouble, yeah. yeah. Or you want something. But that's how rare it is to find something like that. Well, um, you know, I know it's hard. And I'm talking about footprints because that's something people ask me about a lot in the US and in other places. I've seen um, a few footprint photographs, some that looked a bit to me like people running in those um, yeah, um, skin shoes or whatever they call them. I forget what they call them now, but they, you know, they, they mask the skin of your, your, your yeah. feet. Um, and others that look just like somebody walking or could be somebody walking bare feet because of the size and the, yeah. the position. Are there are there any good photos or casts that you feel very strongly about? That could be uh, pictures of, of British Bigfoot uh, Bigfoot uh, footprints, and um, if not, do you think there's a reason that footprints aren't left very often? Now, you know, mine would be because of the the heavy sort of bracken and grassy areas that we have throughout the country. There's not a lot of sandy, stony, muddy areas, or at least we don't seem to be finding footprints in those areas. I get, I get you. Nobody's looking, that? for starters. You've only got yeah. the researchers that are looking. Most people, um, and we sometimes we do walk around with nothing on our feet, so it's easy to dismiss a bare footprint. I'd say if it was in a, an area that you wouldn't normally walk barefooted and you can't see sign of human anywhere, then and take a photograph anyway, regardless, yeah. because you just don't know. But... The, I would think it, a footprint in snow, like the Carm, we were speaking before about Charmaine. 
there's two accounts in um, Carmel. I always say it wrong. It's Carmel, and it's way up in Scotland. Not nothing like my area. Heavy, sick forest. Really nice forest. Um, and these accounts happened way back when she was a child. Somebody got in touch with me this year from the same area. There's a quarry up there, and they said to me, "This is really strange." But I was out in the snow and I've chucked the dog and it was not really a day that I should have been out. It was blowing drifts and everything. Mm. And there was this one bare footprint that was kind of shielded by the side of the, you know, when you get the stone wall. Mm. So that was shielding the drift. And he said, I couldn't understand it because our footprints were filling in really quickly, but this one didn't. And he said it was just as if something had stepped over the wall and then into the field and then they'd gone. Oh. And it was just this one singular bare footprint in the snow. And he did send me the images. I've got them if you want them. Um, and oh, I'd love the to see up that. There. Yeah. yeah, they're up from the quarry up there at Carmi Lane. Um, I, I, think, I mean, I think it's it's amazing that there aren't more. I remember Robert uh, Shankland, is that his name? Yeah. Robert Shankland up in Scotland. He had some interesting prints in sand. Yeah. Um, yeah and he wasn't saying this as 100%, but he's saying, you know, it, it's a bit... It's a bit cool out here. It would be unusual to find somebody walking around barefoot out here in the wilds of Scotland. And I haven't been there recently yeah. and going up to the forest. They are very dense, thick, you know, big pine forest. It, it's it's hard to think of somebody walking around barefoot in that environment. It's not even great in, in the summer, really, to walk around barefoot in Scotland. I um, but it doesn't mean it's out yeah. of the realm of possibility, you know, just simply that it's uh, unlikely. Yeah. yeah, you don't present it as Sasquatch footprint. You present it as strange footprint found in an area you wouldn't normally think that you'd find a footprint. There yeah. are many up and down the UK, I'll be honest, that are. Legitimately, I was speaking with um, a researcher before, but I think he's... Do you know the ones that say, send me everything you've got? Oh, yeah. Send me everything <laughs> you've got. That happens to me all the time. What um, happens if yes. you have that blah, blah, blah? He asked tomorrow, me the please. same question that you asked me, and I said yes. And he said, are there footprint casts? And I said, yes, there are footprint casts. Um, and, but the, 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 the researchers own them. Well, send them in private message. I said, no, I won't give you somebody else's research. I'll ask them if yeah. they don't mind sharing with you, and I will give them your yeah. contact details. But no, I won't, because they'd never trust me again. Well, Why would they ever send me anything yeah. again? You know, thing. my word is all I have and I don't have anything else. Just my word. I will not break a confidence because to me, I might as well give up if I do that. No one's ever going to tell me anything ever again. You know, it's I, just going to be. I, I, I concur with that. I, I think that's that's the best way forward because essentially you're, um, it's not for social media likes. You're looking for evidence. So then mm. you have to do that carefully and cautiously and, and make sure you keep people on uh, keep on uh, the right side of people. Mm. Now, in regards to that, in regards to casts and photographs and habituation sites and areas and all these different bits of mm. you know, anecdotal and circumstantial evidence that people are collecting, yeah. do you think there needs to be um, some one one overarching organization where everybody gets involved and, and shares these things together and mm. something that has a structure about um, a baseline about what is valid and uh, steps to go through like citizen science steps to go through before presenting yeah. 
thing. So I know with the Americans, obviously they're much further ahead because it's been in the, yeah, they've had uh, it longer, haven't they? Yeah, and it's been it's been sort of um, uh, philosophically accepted by a lot of people yeah. for a long time over there. Exactly. How um, would you how would you want to if you did it? How would you want to set up something like that? What, I mean, what I kind have of tried, things do you think I've, people need to to get in touch and start working together? I, I mean, in all honesty, Andy. I mean, I have tried so many times to make that happen. Mm. Um, a, send me all the photographs that you've got, and I will date. I'll put them in databases, and I've done that. I've got database after database after signs, and then you can say, actually, I think these are A-frame bushcraft. We can get rid of them. So they're all sat there waiting to go just for this society. I set up the website for the same thing, British Bigfoot website. Send your, send your research in. I will happily put any article up that you want to write and send in. I will happily share anything. And if, I don't know if people don't want to approach me or they think they're too busy or they just don't know it's out there. So I YouTube, I Twitter, I do as many. I just spread yeah. myself so thin. You're active. Yeah. You're very active. And other people, I think that other people have some really valid opinions that are different to mine and should be heard. Just because I don't agree with them doesn't mean that I don't want them to share what they have, because I could be 100% wrong and I'd be the first to admit well, of it. Course. You know, uh, no man is an island. And I think exactly. it's, it's important yeah. to, to get out there and, and, and talk to other people. And in in my experience in this uh, genre, with all the different uh, areas of cryptozoology, it's only talking to people that's helped me. I yeah. would know so much less now if I hadn't spoken and said, what do you know? What can you tell me? What do you think about you know, X, Y, and yeah. Z theory? Um, now, what advice would you give to anybody thinking of going out looking for Bigfoot here in Britain? Talking about the citizen scientist thing, talking about um, yeah. precautions uh, when you know traveling out there by yourself and, and, mm -hmm. and what to look for what, what could you tell people I think the first thing to do is and you're not going to go out on the first day and find anything in all honesty because it just doesn't happen like that most of the sighting reports I would say a good 70% are accidental sighting mm -hmm. so going out and looking might not do you any good most sighting reports start with i was out with the dog yeah or i was out walking in the woods i was a okay. camping or b we were rock climbing people outdoors and on the edges of towns are what yeah. the witness base are made up of the other 30 percent of people who see them doing a job they see them on military of defense land they see them for another reason that they're out there in the woods. Driving. So that yeah. a lot, I don't know any witnesses that has gone out to see one and it's happened. Am I still there? Yeah, no, you're still there. You're still there. Um, now, what I'm thinking about is is really, is, is this more to do with um, looking, looks like hunting? Um, sorry, Andy, I lost you there for a minute. Am oh, I that's still... okay. Right, I what thought, did you ask I, me then, Sarah? Oh, that's okay, that's okay. I've got you back, your camera's gone off, you're back in the room again. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, what I was saying to you, in that regard, with um, I've looked at this before, most of the witnesses being incidental, being accidental witnesses, I've often wondered, and I've heard this theory before, if uh, the act of searching looks like the act of hunting to a exactly. wild animal. So anything yeah. that sees you searching actively 
for it, not knowing it's it, but for, for whatever, Give it's going to move away I, from Yeah, I was just going to say that. Do what you enjoy. If you're not used to going out there in the woods, check the dog, check the kids, have a walk around. Just get used to being in nature. You need to know what the noises the birds are making, what noises are out there. Boxes scream, owls make a terrible racket. There are lots and lots of noises out there that you will hear and you need to get used to them. And if you're not sure and you don't want to go far away, just go and people walk the dog, get used to being in nature and out there and you might start to notice different signs. I do think that we need to be looking in the big wild places like the Peak Districts and Northumberland and the Cairngorm, all of those places we should be looking there. But that's not the only place that sightings are. So any small wood that connects to a river, um, they've been sighted on golf courses, railway embankments, um, the five round, five road roundabout in Dundee, believe it or not. There's two there. We're on the same yeah. year, within a couple of months apart. I remember that I one. would also suggest just follow your gut. If you go to an area and you, and you like it, just keep going there or you get a good feel about it. Keep going there. We're not all going to find structure and we're not all going to have a sighting. But you increase your... The more you're out there, the more lottery tickets you buy, if you get what I mean. The more that you're yeah. out there in nature, the more likely that you are going to. And you may start to notice some really strange signs, but it's not always structure with people. Sometimes you get a glimpse of something really quickly in the woods and they can't describe what that glimpse is. And that gets them into the research. They, they come back and they want to know and they want to know what vines to look for and things like that. I don't think that there's a field guide. I think you've just got to have an interest yeah. and be prepared to... People are going to critique you <laughs> quite a lot. So be prepared for that. Well, in one I go, I just don't tell people what I'm looking for. I just go out for a walk in the woods. Yeah. And if I meet people while I'm out there, I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? Good morning, good afternoon, whatever. What are you doing out here? Oh, just coming out for a nice walk. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> low man yeah, in the woods intent, looking for Bigfoot can be frightening to some people. Um, you know, um, do you remember when we were speaking about Hal and the account yeah. had come up in Penn? And yeah. he went to, to investigate the sighting. This is, and he's got a T-shirt on. Like I've got my badge here, my British Bigfoot badge. Yes. He's got a T-shirt on and, and somebody said to him, is that true? And he said, yeah. And they said, ah, oh, it's funny you should say that. Because we were out walking the dog and we can't take our dog near other dogs. So we were way off the path. And this thing walked out and it looked at us really annoyed and crossed the path and went back into the wood. The amount of times that that gets mentioned yeah. in the sighting is unbelievable. So just go when you feel confident enough, go with your friend or go on your own, yeah. go off the beaten track a little bit. But mm -hmm. if you're going to go into the massive wilderness, you tell someone where you're going and you yeah. leave a note yeah. on the car just to be on the safe side and you make yeah. sure that you've got a point. Just, just be careful. And I don't think... Is any anything that I could point you at that would definitely give you a sighting? You know what I mean? That's just not going to happen. Well, no, I mean, that, I, it, that, and that makes perfect sense, of course, mm. because if we knew that exactly, then we'd go out and we'd discover it. It'd be already done with, wouldn't it? It'd, it'd be, be done with, it'd be in the books, and um, our job would be done and be over, basically. It <laughs> would. It? I mean, <laughs> some of the habituation sites have been going on 25 years. Now, I don't know how many more of them there are out there in the UK or are, if there are any more of them, they might not be. 
So there's a lot of information out there that we don't know. Yeah. So we're only basing, um, I'm just watching Mark seeing what he's doing. We're only basing what we know and what we've learned in the past, let's say, 10 years. Let's be generous and say in the last 10 years in the UK. Very early days, but there are more and more people that are getting interested and they come forward with sightings, um, or sightings from friends and it just kind of keeps snowballing like that so as long as for me as long as those sightings keep coming in i'm just going to keep doing what i do and just put them out there and see what happens i do don't you, know do you think it's becoming more accepted in, yeah, the, UK, I, in the community really, at large yeah. i'm seeing a, re a really big change in all honesty it used to be even me i did everything in forums under a different name really quiet wouldn't speak to anybody about it didn't want to come forward about it every time i put an account out anywhere it will either come through facebook youtube somebody else will contact me within a week and say it's funny you should say that but I was in that area and this happened to me. Oh, I was completely different area of the UK, but the same circumstances happened to me. And they never say, I was out in Weem and I saw a Bigfoot. They'll yeah. say, I was in the woods, I was in the car, there was tree knocking and it was really frightening. I was with the girlfriend and I looked over to my left and there was a dark figure in the trees and it moved off quickly. Uh -huh. so if, if that was reported in Washington State or Oregon, that be instantly yeah. on the BRF. You wouldn't even blink, really, would you? Exactly. I think, and that's, I yeah. think that's the big, um, that's the big difference. Like you're talking about people being frightened by their sightings, and and you were. And oh, just one of my last few questions. Mm. People don't understand. I think sometimes the trauma of being face to face with an unknown creature, <laughs> and really being in that situation. I've asked myself a lot of times when I've been out there in the woods. Okay, Andy, you're by yourself. You're in the woods. If you, you see yeah. a seven to eight foot tall, you know, eight men or whatever now, and shoot him, do you really want to be there? Exactly. Do you really want to be there? Now, my question to you is, and I've asked you this before, but just for people listening, would you ever want to have another sighting? Mm. Um, I used to did, always say, didn't I? No, no, no. I don't ever want to see it again. No, 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 no. And I think half of it kind of does in a way, um, but that might be the romantic side of it. Yeah. The second I'm in the woods and it's dark and I hear a snap or a tree break, everything comes flooding back through my feet. Uh -huh. And you've got to remember, it's not just my encounter. I have encounters from men who are six foot seven who've been held up by the feet until the calves have gone blue and then dropped. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm all of that's playing in my mind.